I'm really excited about these scriptures today. A little yeah. bit of Missouri, power of the Lord versus the power of Satan. It's exciting. Yeah, being cheerful in hard times. And what matters to the Lord. It's yeah, great. It'll be good. Uh, so welcome. Before we get into our uh, discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah. Today we are in Doctrine and Covenants sections 60 and 62. In these sections, elders are told to preach the gospel two by two and to not idle away their time or bury their talents. These missionaries are also going to experience very difficult times while they're traveling. William W. Phelps is going to see a vision where the destroyer is there, and they're also told to be of good cheer during difficult times. And the Lord instructs those who will preach the gospel to declare glad tidings and promises them blessings if they are thankful. Now, there's a lot of things that we can talk about in these sections, obviously, but we're going to focus in on three things specifically. Uh, first, what is Satan's power? What is the Lord's power? Uh, what is the relationship between the two? How do we be cheerful in hard times? And what is it exactly that matters to God? In order to dive deeper into these topics, we have invited our good friend, Ben Shalati. Ben, would you come join us on the stand here? Welcome. Of course. I'm really excited to be here today. Great. Thank you. Excited to talk about these verses. And we're hey. excited to have you. <laughs> so, Ben, welcome. You're a uh, BYU Honor Code Administrator. You're the co-host of the podcast, Questions from the Closet, uh, an adjunct professor at BYU in Spanish. See. And <laughs> hey, Ben. Yeah. Um, and also uh, an author of a book called A Walk in My Shoes, Questions I'm Often Asked as a Gay Latter-day Saint. So to, let's jump into it then, Ben. Uh, so you read the sections. I'm wondering, did you find anything especially meaningful or significant as you were uh, kind of going through it? Yeah, I was actually really struck by section 60, verse 2, where the Lord is telling the elders of the church that he's not pleased with them. And it says, they hide their talent which I have given unto them because of the fear of men. And I thought, you know, talent here means their testimony, the things that they've learned. And I thought about the things that I have learned from my experience and the way that, that I often hid them. Mm -hmm. As a gay Larry is saying, I've learned a lot about the gospel and how the Lord works with me that I was afraid to share because of the fear of men. And there were multiple times where I just felt prompted to tell people about my experience, mm -hmm. but I, I was too afraid to. And then when I finally got the courage to do that, my life got so much better. And so the talent that I have, my experiences, when I feel prompted to share them, I know that I need to. Excellent. We're really looking forward to your perspective today. Thanks for coming. And I love how you talked about fear, especially in that verse. We have, we have these missionaries that are going to be leaving Missouri. They're going to be going back to their homes. There's going to be a lot of discord among these saints. And some of them really are going to be driven by fear. They're going to be driven by anger. They're going to be driven by a lot of things. But I, I appreciate that you recognize, even as a young man, uh, that the fear of man is not of God. And, and that is something that Satan will use in order to destroy us, in order to keep us from uh, receiving our greatest potential. And in, in fact, it's one of the keys that, that Satan is going to use in order to keep them from, from establishing Zion. Yeah, and maybe we can get into that more directly and, and talk specifically about Satan's power uh, versus the Lord's power. So you mentioned the, uh, at this time, Barbara Joseph Smith and, and is in the company of several others and they're traveling down the Missouri River. Can you give us any other historical context there? The saints had expected that there was going to be this incredible place. They're going to Missouri, they're gonna create Zion and, and they thought they were gonna see this wonderful city. So when they get there, there wasn't this wonderful city that they had. Uh, the Lord expected them to build Zion rather than just having Zion be there. And so some of those members of the church, even some of those leaders of the church at that time became pretty disgruntled, not only with the situation, but also with the prophet. And so we see in some of these sections, as we're gonna look at sections 60 through 62 today, we're gonna see some of that disgruntling. We're gonna see some of the response of, of the Lord to his saints. And we're gonna see kind of the influence and power that Satan has as they're doing it. Mm -hmm. If you look in section 61, God talks a lot about his power and he talks a lot about Satan's power. God says yeah, he has all power. Uh, he forgives sins. He says, all flesh is in mine hand. And then uh, later on, 
Uh, he says, I am in your midst, I have not forsaken you. And then he talks a little bit about Satan's power. And this isn't the first time that we see some descriptions of Satan's power in the Doctrine and Covenant. So it's obviously kind of a, an important thing that the Lord wants us to know about, right? And we can reflect a little bit about why that is. But uh, so for example, in section 10, I think it was, yeah. we had this kind of uh, description of Satan's different tactics. You know, he typically attacks people through their hearts, which in the scriptures is the center of our thoughts and our emotions and our desires. Uh, he lays cunning plants, stirs us up to anger, encourages us to deceit and lie. Why is it important to have a proper understanding of God's power and Satan's power? Yeah, I, I think if we understand the difference between how Satan responds to us and how God responds to us, we can know when that's happening. Mm -hmm. Like when we're feeling feelings of, of fear or anger or shame or self-hatred or doubt, mm -hmm. those aren't feelings that come from God. When mm -hmm. we're feeling uh, courage, when we're feeling enlivened, when we're feeling uh, excited, when we're feeling hopeful, those are things that we can know come from God. And if we know where the feelings are coming from, then we can respond to them appropriately. Yeah. And, and you know, the Lord is saying it, not only, I mean, we have section 10 as a great example, but starting in section one of the Doctrine and Covenants, we have the Lord clearly stating that Satan is going to try to do these things and I'm going to do these things and I'm going to win. I mean, we have this from section one of the Doctrine and Covenants all the way through, frankly, until the end. I mean, we, we have this great plan that the Lord has given us and we are right in the middle, you know, we're on, as, as President Packer says, we're, on, we're in scene two or act two of this great plan and we can't see the beginning from the end but God can. And sometimes in our lives, it looks as if Satan is actually taking control and he's actually winning. He won't win. God won't let him win. He's in control of this whole plan. But sometimes the Lord, I, I believe, is kind of saying to us, we're not trying to see who's going to win and who's going to lose. We're going to try to see how you are reacting and what you are responding to and how you are being influenced by these powers. And you see that individually in these sections as people are trying to figure out what the Lord would have them do. Yeah, Ricardo. Uh, when I think of Satan's power, uh, he loves fear, because fear is confusion. Fear is just, it's, uh, not knowing. And when you think of uh, God's power, it's light, it's knowledge. And when you have knowledge, when you have light, there's no fear, there's no darkness. And so we often think of Satan telling us bad things, but sometimes he really is just confusing us. And that's when that confusion starts, then fear can 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 be created from that, because then I'm not certain, I'm not sure. And so having access to scriptures that can give us that knowledge helps us, you know, be able to discern better between those little things that he puts in our head that sometimes make us doubt ourselves or other people or even doubt our testimony and things like that. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great comment, Ricardo. Thank you so much. And, and you're, you know, you're talking about God's power, you're talking about knowledge, and the thought just comes in, you know, knowledge is power. And where do we gain the greatest knowledge of God? Well, from the scriptures, from the spirit, from the temple. Uh, what do we gain in the temple? We're endowed with priesthood power. And you know, the more you think about this, then you recognize what's pow what, what is this power that God's talking about here? It's the priesthood. It's a beautiful comment. Yeah. May I share one more comment about yeah, sure. um, Satan's power versus God's power? The very first time I was asked to, to speak publicly about being a, a gay Larry Saint was at the Tucson uh, Institute. Mm -hmm. And I started my talk uh, by saying, I was asked to give a talk about my experiences as a gay Larry Saint, but I'm actually here to talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And then about halfway through my talk, I said something that I'd never said before. I said, I used to think that the atonement was supposed to make me straight, but what it did instead is it healed my broken heart. And that is the power of God, that it heals our woundedness. Like the parts of us that feel broken, that feel incomplete, uh, the power of God heals that and it heals the parts of us that are broken. And frankly, Ben, that's critical, I think, too, for this part of this, the scriptures that we're looking at. Historically speaking, God is trying to create Zion, but he is trying to create a people 
that can build Zion and he has to heal the brokenness and he has to help them overcome the fear and he has to help them overcome the contention by being peacemakers. He's the atonement of Jesus Christ is healing these broken hearts, these broken people in a sense, these, this fallen man as, mm. as you talked about, Daniel. Excellent. Uh, yeah, Sarah. So I'm someone that has suffered with depression for a lot of my life and um, the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, mm -hmm. has kind of been my mantra. Um, when I get to my low points, it's the thing that I repeat over and over in my mind, you know, to get out of bed or to, to go downstairs and make a, a sandwich or whatever it is. Um, having that understanding that I don't have to do it alone, that I have God's power with me because I have Christ with me, that I've taken his name upon me and that we are yoked together through all of it. And that is the most empowering thing for me is to know that I'm never going to be alone. It's it, I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to fight Satan on my own. I can do it with him. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thanks for that. Uh, myself as well, I, I suffer from depression, so I, I understand a little bit about it. But um, So this has been an excellent discussion on the Lord's power versus Satan's power. Now maybe we can uh, transition and, and talk a little bit about what it means to be cheerful in hard times. So one of the things that stood out to me is this verse at the end of uh, section 61. So this is the Lord speaking, And now verily I say unto you, and what I say unto one, I say unto all, Be of good cheer, little children, for I am in your midst, and I have not forsaken you. So this idea that the Lord is speaking to people, they're, they're scared, they're suffering, uh, they're probably physically exhausted, uh, and yet he tells them to be of good cheer. So my question is, I guess, I mean, I mean first for Ben and then for everybody else is, is this even possible? What does the Lord actually expect of us? Are we just supposed to be happy? Is it okay to be sad? Like, talk to us a little bit about that. What yeah. do you think? Well, I love what the Lord says here about why we should be of good cheer, because he's with us. Mm -hmm. He has not forsaken us. Mm -hmm. And those beautiful verses in Isaiah that are quoted in 3 Nephi, that, that though the mountains depart and the hills be removed, God is with us, he has not forsaken us. Mm -hmm. And I think about some of the hard times I've had. My, my mom has Alzheimer's and watching her slowly decline has been very tragic. And you know, I, I weep and I cry and it, it's really painful. And I let myself feel those feelings of sadness. Uh, and yet when we're together, I just like feel God's power there. And I can feel, I, I can feel her goodness and, and her spirit, even as, as she's slowly slipping away. And uh, the, the word for uh, be of good cheer in Spanish, it says to, to it says ser de buen ánimo. And the word mm -hmm. ánimo has like this idea of like energy. Yeah. And so we're supposed to have good energy. And like, mm -hmm. what are we putting out into the world? As we put out good into the world, um, as we know it's God in the world, we're gonna be feeling his presence and we're naturally gonna be cheerful. Yeah. You know, but I remember when my mom passed away, I remember thinking, the Lord has commanded us to be of good cheer. And, and I thought to myself, uh, why is the Lord demanding that I put lemons in my wounds, right? I mean, the idea of being a good cheer when I was mourning was, seemed almost like torture, right? But when my dad passed away, I thought about that same, that same idea of be of good cheer, right? And that doesn't mean, I realized, especially going through that time period with my mom, that doesn't mean that the Lord is saying, you're sinning if you're not happy right now. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. In, in fact, President Nelson has a great quote regarding mourning. He says this, irrespective of age, we mourn for those loved and lost. Mourning is one of the deepest expressions of pure love. It is a natural response in complete accord with the divine commandment, thou shalt live together in love, insomuch that thou shalt weep for the loss of them that die. Moreover, we can't fully appreciate joyful reunions later without tearful separations now. The only way to take sorrow out of death is to take love out of life. I, I love that quote because 
you know, the scripture makes this, sometimes we understand it incorrectly, thinking that we're supposed to be cheerful all the time in difficult situations. But I have come to recognize that the Lord isn't commanding us to be of good cheer because he's trying to make us feel bad. He's asking us to be of good cheer because being cheerful is often an antidote of loneliness and sadness. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't mourn. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't cry. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a difficult time. I mean, Christ did, right? Yeah, and I'm reminded of that passage in the Gospel of John. So, uh, you know, Lazarus dies and Jesus comes and he's walking uh, and he meets uh, Lazarus's sisters and they, they say, you know, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now Jesus comes, he knows he's gonna raise Lazarus up from the dead. He knows that eventually everybody's gonna be resurrected. And yet when he sees the pain uh, of, of these sisters, he weeps, even though he knows things are gonna be okay. And it, it just goes back to this idea of uh, mourning is not just part of, the, part of the mortal experience, but we're actually, I mean, Mosiah, we're, we're commanded to mourn with those who mourn, right? It's, it's a natural product of loving people. Yeah. This reminds me of, of the verse that Joseph Smith wrote in section 121, verse 17, where he says, dearly beloved brethren, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power. And this idea of being cheerful, it, it's, it's motivation. It's gonna lead us to action. And we can be sad and still have good works. And then he says, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. Mm -hmm. Like we're cheerful because we have hope. We know that in the end, God is doing his work. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, he said. Yeah, so I, the, the one thing that I was thinking is that as, as I'm struggling through different things in my life, um, if I look for the little tender mercies, you know, as little as, as they can be, um, it helps me to know that my Heavenly Father is there and He's there guiding me and He's giving me little tiny tidbits of, of cheer that I can be cheerful for. Um, and sometimes we have to look for those. We have to recognize them or, or, or we don't see them or we miss them. We might not see them till later, but, um, but that's what helps me sometimes through hard times. Yeah, and I wonder if that kind of active looking is part of what, because he says be, I mean, that's an imperative. That he's saying be cheerful in the sense that this is something I'm commanding you to do, yeah. right? And maybe part of fulfilling that commandment is, again, is looking for those little tender mercies. It's not just like manufacture happiness, right? It's like, look for me and allow me to help you feel, you know, the kind of peace and joy that the gospel can bring. In a sense, it ties off of President Nelson in November of 2020 when he um, invited the members of the church as an antidote to all the suffering that was going on to, to give thanks. Mm -hmm. It's not to say, be of good cheer, clap on, clap off, right? Mm -hmm. But do things that will help you be of good cheer and you will be filled with that spirit of the Lord that brings mm -hmm. that cheer. Yeah. Great comment, thank you. Excellent. The feeling I keep getting is being of good cheer doesn't mean negating our feelings. It doesn't mean not experiencing what we're going through, mm -hmm. but it means trusting in God, letting, letting the gift of hope work in us so that we can see that, that God is with us, yeah. even in those, those tough trying times. Yeah. Excellent, thanks. So this has been a great discussion about being cheerful in hard times. Maybe now we can transition to our final topic, which is uh, what really matters to God. As the Lord is going to command these missionaries to return, he is going to talk about things that do and do not matter to him. And in some ways, it kind of sounds a little bit strange that the Lord says some things just frankly don't matter to me. I mean, we think everything matters to the Lord, but in reality, the Lord does have priorities. Let's look at this quote by Elder Bednar regarding this topic. He says the following, the principal issues in this episode are not horses, mules, or chariots, rather they are gratitude, judgment, and faithfulness. Please note the basic element in this pattern, a thankful heart in all things, act according to the judgment and directions of the Spirit, and the Savior is with the faithful always. In a similar way, you and I also might identify at various times in our lives more than one acceptable opportunity or option that we could choose to pursue. 
We should remember this pattern from the scriptures as we approach such important decisions. Or in other words, as we're going through this, they can go by boat or they can walk. They can go by chariot, they can go by horses. And the Lord continues to say, it doesn't matter to me how you get back. But what does matter to the Lord is what the people are becoming, what they're gaining, what Christ-like attributes that they have. I think we actually have a video from an at-home viewer that uh, speaks to this topic. Hi, my name is Stephen Medina and I'm from Soda Springs, Idaho. And my question is, how can we know which decisions in life God has something specific in mind for that matters to him and which decisions don't matter that much to him and he just wants us to be able to, to decide for ourselves and use our agency? It's a great question. Ben? <laughs> well, I had a very long and storied career. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I initially was gonna be a Spanish professor. So mm -hmm. I have a PhD uh, in second language acquisition and teaching so I could, I could be a Spanish professor. Mm -hmm. And then as I was finishing up that PhD, I felt very prompted to do a master's in social work. And I came mm -hmm. back to Utah and I became a therapist. And I was a therapist for two years. And then I felt prompted to apply for this job at BYU in the Honor Code office. And so I often tell people, you know, life is short and that's true, but it's also very long. And, you know, I didn't know I wanted to be an honor code administrator when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't even know that <laughs> two years ago. Um, but I've ended up where, where I feel like I'm supposed to be. And so what I've learned is I, I make a choice. I make a decision. I move forward with that. And then sometimes I'm supposed to be on a different path as well. And so I had these great 10 years being a full-time Spanish teacher. Uh, and now I'm working in student conduct at BYU. And, mm -hmm. and that's okay. We, we, can, we can take a lot of different paths. So I would say, you know, don't let yourself have so much anxiety about what the right choice is. Make a choice move forward, and if you need to adjust, there's a lot of time to adjust. In fact, something that I would say too, especially when we're talking about college students, you know, we, all three of us work with college students a lot, and college students and young adults are making majorly important decisions in their lives. Uh, there have been times in my life where I have actually been very strongly guided one direction. To become a religion professor, I felt very guided in doing that. Uh, exactly what school to go to or exactly what classes to take to make me a religious professor, I don't know that I was guided necessarily as much in that. But I do know that the Lord cared that I didn't cheat. And I do know that the Lord cared that I, that I was kind to my roommates. And I do know that the Lord cared that I was an honest individual. And sometimes I think as we're making these decisions, whether we end up being a mechanic or end up being a religion professor, or if we're a stay-at-home mom or something else, what the Lord really cares a lot about is are we becoming like him? Sometimes I think he does guide us in the direction that he wants us to fulfill. But I think most importantly, he's trying to guide us in who we are becoming as a person. And, and, and I love what you were saying, Barbara. And I, I think that God has given each of us different talents. He's given us different abilities and different spiritual gifts. And as part of the body of Christ, we're not supposed to be, not everyone's supposed to be a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear. And if we can see the, the blessings that God has given us, the gifts that he has given us, and then move forward in a direction that will allow us to use those gifts to bless the world, I think that's a, a really beautiful direction to take. Yeah, and I think part of discerning God's will for us is being open to that idea that it's not all about us. Like when you were kind of uh, rattling off your, your life experience in Spanish and social work and things like that, like I just, I was thinking in my head, like oh, you have such a good tool belt of things you can use to help, to, to help other people, right? And I think if we're geared towards, you know, how can I be the best tool in your toolbox, God? And like that kind of question, I feel like is the kind of question that really, uh, it can be an impetus to very strong and, and, and clear revelation. I have a daily practice that has really helped me understand what the Lord wants me to do and, and what matters to him. So I'm a very active person, I'm an extrovert, I'm always with people, but every night I take time to write in my journal. 
And that's like the one time in the day I slow down and just reflect on my day and think about um, what I'm to do. And as I do that, I often get inspiration about things to do. And this happened just last night. I felt prompted to, to email a student about something that had happened in class. And it was hours later, but when I stopped to, to think and reflect on the day, that's when I knew that I needed to send that email. And so for me, taking time to slow down and, and reflect and ponder has really been a, a way for me to open up the, the conduits of heaven so that God can speak to me. Yeah, it, because it's not to say that God doesn't care about things. He cares about people. We're, we're meant to be instruments in the hands of God. And so he wants us to be able to say, you know, Heavenly Father, what would thou have me do, right? What would thou have me become? And, and how can I best do this? And we can ask the Lord those questions. But at the same time, we don't want, in a sense, damn ourselves by not moving forward if the Lord doesn't give us an answer. There are people that could be doing amazing things, but they're waiting for the Lord to give them the answer of what they should do. And in the process, they aren't, being, they aren't able to accomplish what they could do. I think specifically in my life, um, the importance of, of serving other people. There's, there's, a, there's a great quote by President Monson that I love where he says, send that note to the friends you've been neglecting. Give your child a hug. Give your parents a hug. Say, I love you more. Always express your thanks. And then he has this great comment, never let a problem to be solved become more important than a person to be loved. How often do we do this? How often do we, do we let other things get in the way of what we should be doing, what we know that we should be doing, not because we should be doing it because somebody is keeping a check mark of it, but because it's just the right thing to do. And just to echo kind of what you were saying, I think, I think it does allow us a lot of kind of autonomy, but at the same time, I think we should allow ourselves to be surprised by how much he cares about the minutia in our yeah. lives, like how much he wants to be involved in the little details, which we think are so um, you know, unimportant that we wouldn't want to bother him with it. Like I found that specifically, like, we shouldn't close ourselves off to him uh, for anything that we think is too small for him to care about. Yeah. yeah. It is surprising sometimes what he does care about. Yeah. That may not be what we think he should care about. Exactly. Yeah, Sarah. So there was about a six-year period in my life where I stopped going to church. And when I came back and went through the repentance process, I was just so grateful. I didn't want to make any more mistakes. And I became paralyzed with this idea that I couldn't do anything without asking the Lord first. Mm -hmm. And I had a really good friend at church that I was talking to and explained to him what I was feeling and that, um, you know, I didn't feel like I was getting any answers and I didn't know how to move forward and I didn't feel like God was speaking to me. And he said, well, God probably doesn't care what you do next. Mm -hmm. and, and it just, at first I was kind of like, well, what do you mean he doesn't care? Of course he cares. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, he cares about you and where you're going in your life, but he doesn't care necessarily how you get there. And the, you know, he wants you to find joy. He wants you to be happy. And so move towards things that make you happy. And if there's something big that he needs to let you know about, he will. But you don't need to be paralyzed by this fear. That fear is not coming from a good place. We do have our agency and to have confidence in the fact that you're a child of God. He gave you this agency and he trusts you to make good choices. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I liked from what you said about that is how many times you said God cares about you. I, I think if we were to take all of this and kind of summarize what he's saying in these scriptures and some of our comments is what he does care about are his children. He does care about you individually. He does care about your future. He does care about your journey. He does care about uh, the decisions that you're making. He cares about you as an individual and your potential to become like him. And so in the process of this church history, he's trying to help people create Zion, but in the process, he's trying to create a Zion-like people is what he's really trying to do. He's trying to help us become like him. He's trying to help us become like our heavenly parents. 
That's what he cares about. And, and Barbara, in my life, some of the strongest promptings I've received are because I needed to form a stronger relationship with someone. Yeah, great comment. So this has been an excellent discussion about what matters to God, and I've certainly learned a lot from you, so thank you for your, for your comments and, and, and your insights. Yeah, this has been a great discussion today all around, Ben. We really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you. Of course. And we'd like to thank you also as well, those of you in the audience. We appreciate your insights. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, and to those of you at home, thank you for sending us your comments and questions and insights via social media. We'd love to have you join us sometime in the future in the studio, but if you can't, uh, we hope you'll tune in next time for Come Follow Up. Thanks a lot. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.